Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the 549th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein, giving you American perspectives of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Red Bull News Network. But don't forget that this is the show that will always talk about American soccer. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. Well, you know, I, I want to go and look at what we are seeing right now in the world of international soccer, including, including, or mostly concentrating on our region of CONCACAF. What are we seeing right now? We are seeing Canadian players. We are seeing American players, young, attacking players, strong players, defending players, goalkeepers, midfielders, defensive and creative and offensive and strikers going to Europe to play for, if not some of the bigger clubs or the best clubs in the world, but at least playing in Europe where they are going to get playing time. And to not just train with the best players in the world, but to be with the best players in the world and some of the solid players in the world. Because no matter where you are in Europe, no matter what level, if you're not in the Premier League, if you're not in Serie A or Bundesliga or La Liga, it does not matter because you're playing in Europe. You're applying your trade in Europe. And that, my friends, is where the uptick is. But at the same time, when you are watching young American players playing for youth international teams like us, like our American teams, in American soccer, well, let me just say this. What the MLS clubs are doing with their academies has been nothing short of brilliance. Now, why am I saying that? Why am I giving praise to MLS academies? Well, it's really plain and simple. MLS academies are giving our young players the opportunity to go out and perform to get meaningful minutes, meaningful minutes to start their professional careers. We all know this for a fact because what did the U.S. under-20s just do? They romped all 
over the under-20 tournament, with the exception of a 2-2 draw against Canada in the group stage. But that's as far as it goes. And the truth of the matter is this. Is that at this moment in time, what we are seeing right now when it comes to the youth development for both the men and the women in this region of CONCACAF, we are improving. We are getting better. We are, we are doing much better than Mexico. The Mexican under-20s failed to qualify for the World Cup, losing in a penalty kick shootout to Guatemala for the under-20 World Cup, which also meant they did not advance to the semifinal round of the under-20 tournament, because if they did and would have won that, they would have gone to the Olympics. That did not happen. The The Mexican women's national team lost in the CONCACAF Women's Tournament, lost an opportunity to qualify for the Women's World Cup. Let's also not forget three consecutive victories in a calendar year. Three victories in a calendar year by the U.S. Men's National Team defeating Mexico in the Nations League final, in the Gold Cup final last year, and the home World Cup qualifier in Cincinnati. Excuse me. And then, of course, the scoreless draw, where, to be honest, should have had an opportunity to at least put the ball in the back of the net once and to get that historical World Cup qualification victory. Yes, we got the first ever victory at the Azteca through a friendly, but the monster on the mountain would have been destroyed, self-destructed by the fans of Mexico if that did happen. So all you can say is, ladies and gentlemen, what Major League Soccer is doing with the American players, what they are doing is a fantastic moment in the development of American players. And that is improvement. Major improvement from what we have seen. Major improvement from our players doing very well. And it all got started by Todd Ramos in the under-20 tournament. Qualifying for the under-20 World Cup the last couple of years. And you know what? 
as of right now, it's looking really go- it's really looking solid. Very, very solid. American players. Canada will get up there soon. I think they're behind right now in the youth department. But they are improving. We cannot ignore that. And when Canada and the United States takes over as the top two nations in this confederation and push out Mexico. And of course, that won't happen for a good while because Mexico is still good enough and strong enough and solid enough to get results. But as of right now, they're not looking great. As of right now, they are not looking fantastic. Former Mexican international Gerardo Torado and his staff were sacked by the FMF because of poor results. And even though Mexico did qualify for this can we be honest and say that this particular group is not strong? That this particular group being run by Tata Martino is not strong? To be fair and to be honest, I don't believe they're going to get out of the group stage. And even if they do get out of the group stage, they'll be lucky because whatever they had last cycle under Juan Carlos Osorio was 10 times better than what they have right now. They are squeaking by results because they are El Trey. And meanwhile, young, youthful players getting a taste of international competition, getting the taste of being in these World Cup qualifiers, getting a taste of what it's going to be like, fighting, clawing, and scratching 90 minutes or more when we get to our group in B against the Welsh, the English, and the Iranians. It's going to be spectacular. And let me just say this. If our guys go three and out, that's not what this World Cup is about. This World Cup is the restart for this national team program. Of course I want them to do well, and of course I want them to be the best, and of course I want them to get on a long run. But don't be surprised if they go three and out, if it happens. Because if they're still a young group and they're still learning what to do on a major level of international soccer when it comes to the tournament of all tournaments, the biggest party the world has ever seen and known and loves to live off of, the FIFA World Cup. And if they can go on a big run in 2026 when they are one of the three hosts, 
then all bets are off. But right now, as of right now, I'm not worried about this group. Whoever Greg Berhalter picks for this roster. Right now, what we are seeing is a wonderful thing. The growth of the American player has been better, bigger, better, brighter than probably what we have seen in a long, long time. You get the occasional solid players. Now we're getting an entire team. We're getting an entire team. And what we have seen from this past under-20 World Cup squad that did the damage in CONCACAF down in Honduras to qualify for the FIFA Under-20 World Cup, to qualify for the Summer Olympics in Paris in 2024, winning the Under-20 tournament, which we all knew they were going to because Dominican Republic has never had a national team, youth team, advance that far at all in a CONCACAF tournament. What we have right now, ladies and gentlemen, what we have right now, the future is bright for our sport and with these kids. And to be fair and honest, this cannot be ignored any longer. The, forget even the national media. The local media cannot ignore this any longer. Whether they come from Chicago, Orlando, Miami, Los Angeles, New York City, Detroit, Philadelphia, and any other city that wants to ignore what this special moment is going on and doing, if that happens, you can't ignore it any longer. You cannot ignore that this sport is a part of the American sports landscape. This is now part of the fabric of what American soccer players can do now. The growth has been amazing, and I'm glad that I'm here for it. Great show for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get on with the guest right away. Joining me right now, he is the host of the Cincinnati Soccer Talk podcast, as FC Cincinnati has finally grown up to become a big-time club in MLS, the one and only Mr. Razzle Dazzle himself. Boston Brazel. Boston, good evening, and how are you? Hey, good evening to you. I'm doing pretty well. I'm back in Cincinnati after coming back from Columbus last night, so good to be back in Cincinnati. Good to be back in the hometown. Why not? You know, i got to tell you, can I just say this kind of feels finally that Cincinnati has come to the MLS party? Can I just say that <laughs> finally the uh, – Proper hiring of a sporting director and a head coach has now put FC Cincinnati properly on the map. I mean, yeah, you got in. There's no doubt about you deserve to get in. The question yeah. was, was there a deserving of remaining? And we know there's no promotional obligation, but was there a question of 
did you feel your club deserved to be in MLS? Well, um, definitely, definitely got our way in, and we had to prove ourselves to do that. So, yeah, I'd say the average Cincinnatian is pretty uh, proud of the work and effort put forth to get in. However, we did drop the ball for sure for the first couple of seasons. Some new clubs do. You know, we've seen Miami stumble out of the gate as well now, and uh, Orlando stumble uh, for years. So it's kind of one of those things that you either have to get it right or you're going to have several years of struggle. And Cincinnati had it really bad. Um, It is finally good. I think I was on your show at the beginning of the season, and I don't think I was very optimistic after three years of down. I knew things would be better with a new coach, but I didn't think – Cincinnati would have been in a playoff spot, you know, halfway through the season. No way, Jose. Uh-huh. And I agree with you. I mean, I think many people ready to write off FC Cincinnati. I try not to do that in the start of the season. I want to give some clubs the opportunity to see if they can dig themselves out of a hole or maybe turn yeah. things around at the start of the season. And when Chris Albright came over from the Philadelphia Union and became your sporting director, you can definitely say the changes are definitely night and day. You know what's impressed me is what they've done with the guys that they already had. Because if you ask Chris Albright if he would have the same lineup, you know, the same roster, had he had the ability to go out and make trades and, and spend all the money he was hoping he would have, he would say no way. You know, like he, he would much rather have that money to do what he can do, the Philly style, then he's living with a lot of night camp's decisions right now. And he's and him and Coach Noonan are making the best of it. They've turned Brandon Vasquez from zero to hero, and Vasquez was on this team last year. Isn't it amazing what, you, what can happen with a proper head coach? Now let me ask you this. Pat Noonan coming in from a part of Bruce Arena's coaching staff at the New England Revolution. What is it about Pat Noonan that has gotten these players to play not just the proper way, but something that everyone can now say, this is FC Cincinnati soccer in front of everyone in the Queen City? He's got the guys to believe in a system and execute that system, which is something no coach has yet to achieve in Cincinnati it's not a brilliant um, thing. He took what works for him. It, if you watch Cincinnati play, it's very Philadelphia-ish. It's got its own flair. But, you know, you can see the traces of Union running through that system. And it's just not an absolute genius move. It's doing what needs to be done to build the foundation. Now, once – they really get rolling, especially in year two. I expect you'll see a little bit more of a coach's stamp, a little bit more of a uniqueness on the team. But year one, this is exactly what we want to see. The coach is not doing too much. He's doing just enough. And I agree with you. I mean, what we're seeing right now from this roster at the moment has just been spectacular. I've enjoyed watching it, uh, you know, uh, from a distance, obviously. And when I was watching this going on, I just said to myself, you know, this has just been spectacular. This has just been great. This is what you guys have been waiting for all along. And while, yeah, you've done it before in the USL level, 
uh, at Nippert, and obviously being at Nippert, it, it's a it's a wonderful thing at the time. But to do it now at TQL Stadium um, on the west end of Cincinnati, I mean, it really sounds like from the seats, from the fans, it's not it's no longer a oh we hope it's going to be a win. Oh, we hope it's going to be a good match. We hope they're going to do it. Now there's real. I wouldn't say there was no singing in the supporter section, but I will say that the singing now has more meaning. Yeah, no. Yeah, I know what you mean. In fact, this game versus Columbus was was a very off game for Cincinnati. They scored uh, no goals, lost two. Um, not not run a play stuff, just uh, fancy set pieces by Columbus's stars. And so it's you know you'll lose those games sometimes. But I remember turning to the fans next to me and saying, "When's the last time?" We were shut out in a game. I could be, I can't remember because Cincinnati's been knocking in two, three, four goals a game lately, and um, so it's kind of a weird feeling just to feel like, oh, that's what a loss feels like because it's been seven matches and even longer since they've been shut out. Exactly, and of course, I think the addition of Brenner coming over and his full name is Brenner Souza da Silva. Uh, coming to FC Cincinnati uh, for this season, uh, he has been tremendous. He has been fantastic to watch so far. Uh, 16 matches played over 1,000 minutes, started 10 of the 16 matches. I, I mean, what he has done for Cincinnati to add to that attack has been brilliant. And as you said already, Brendan Vasquez has become a better player. He has become a confident player. He's become a player that all of a sudden is putting balls in the back of the net and he's just doing a job. I mean, what do you think about now all the positive that's going on with Cincinnati? I think it's been a long time coming <laughs> as far as the fans. Uh, I'm honestly just glad that this season I – don't, I, I would say fan expectation is still um, – you know, I don't think many fans are expecting to make the MLS playoffs this year, and they're okay if we don't because this is seen as our building year. This is the year we finally are not in the gutter. Um, we're finally doing something. If we make playoffs, that's gravy. However, I don't know if the team's quite there in terms of depth to make a serious run. You never know. MLS is a league of parity, but um, I wouldn't go that far with this club. This is just – a really, really good foundation that I think is mm-hmm. paying early dividends um, earlier than I think a lot of fans expected. So right now, the general temperament is enjoy it. Enjoy it in Cincinnati, and hopefully, you know, maybe come fall there'll be something there. But if not, 2023, man. No, exactly, and we'll see what happens uh, uh, when the uh... – you know, Cincinnati does something huge, um, maybe goes into the winter transfer window uh, and yeah, does something tight. big. We're I mean, we'll real have to wait tight. It's yep. going to be – if they get something done this summer, they have to move somebody out. Um, a Brenner, a Vasquez, a Kubo, they're going to have to move somebody big out. And I just don't know if it's possible to make all that happen. But we'll mm-hmm. see. Keep your eye on the summer window. They're looking for some defensive mm-hmm. help. But to do so would be – they're going to have to make some magic happen. But, yeah, 2023, they drop a lot of contracts. They drop a lot of big contracts. So they can they can be real flexible this winter. Yeah, I agree with you there. 
What's it like, I mean, to go through a bunch of managers? I mean, let's be honest, Alan Koch, who did a decent job when you were still USL club, that big run in the Open Cup back in 2017, got Mm -hmm. to the semifinals. And then, of course, uh, nothing after that. And even though he became uh, your first head coach in MLS when the team uh, financially promoted themselves to MLS. Yeah. It just didn't seem like, you know, everything was going well. Did you feel before you went to MLS that you needed a new manager before that season started? Or did you have confidence in Koch that he could do a job, but unfortunately could not? There was, there was worries. Um, we had heard some things, you know, the, the players um, that last season weren't super happy uh, with Allen. So it turns out that, you know, he had lost the locker room even despite winning um, that year in the USL. So it just didn't go well. Something about moving up and, you know, a lot of empty promises, a lot of we'll take who we can up. And, you know, it's just a weird thing. I don't wish it on any club to do it the way we did it. it. It just got really convoluted. The players didn't know what was going on, even up until the USL playoffs. And and some of the players had told us that they were more concerned about their status on the roster than the playoff game because they were mm-hmm. they were still in limbo. They were still in limbo. No one knew for sure what was going on, who was going to get called up, who wasn't. And, yeah, it was just a weird, weird time for the players. So imagine going out there and trying to bank in goals when you're staying up at night worried about job security and all kinds of things. So, yeah, and these are just USL guys. They're not MLS guys that have been trained to, you know, deal with these big contracts type of situations. So it ended up being more than a lot of people thought would need to happen. And then when some people were thought they would make it, they didn't make it, and some people made it. And you know, when something like that happens. Yeah, so that was a good start. And then we just went through yeah. the coaching carousel. Yeah, I mean, I thought Yop Stom was a solid hire. I, I really thought, you know, he was going to start doing something defensively, like start a defensive posture and then work his way up into bringing in better uh, offensive players to add on to Cincinnati. I thought he was mm-hmm. a, a very good hire, but unfortunately – you know, when you're uh, you're not used to MLS and you're just not doing uh, the right things to get a club uh, or a starting eleven going uh, properly, you know, then you're gonna have your own frustrations. Yeah, looking back, that was one of those you just think will work, but it's not always an answer. You know, you got Wayne Rooney coming in as a coach, and I hope it does work out for DC. But that's just not always the answer. Going to hire the superstar, they have to have the the knowledge to teach them and to somehow impact that next generation, that next group of people, besides just the celebrity factor. Because all the players were like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm dumb. This is so cool. He's our coach. But it just didn't translate to better play. And and maybe Yop just couldn't get it across what he wanted. There was some kind of a gap there. Because you know he's got the skill, um, but it just wasn't getting there to the team. So, yeah, I'm, I always find those type of dynamics interesting. Um, superstar nah, coaches, can it work? Well, you know, once again, it's uh, it's a little more different over here than it is over there. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. You know, this is a different type of league. This 
is a different type yeah. of setup and uh, you know, different part of the hemisphere. It does. It really does. But this is what happens, you know, when you uh, decide to come here and manage. So we'll see what happens. But before I let you go, and I know you got to run to do the EFC Cincinnati Talk Pod, uh, Cincinnati Soccer Talk podcast. Yep. What do you see for the future for this club now that uh, everything looks to be solid, strong, and the ship has finally been righted? <laughs> well, I don't want to put a uh, cart before the horse, I guess, but I do think the club is on better footing, and they are still willing to splash some cash here in the next winter window. So I think you'll see a stronger Cincinnati in 2023. Um and then, yeah, I'm not sure about this year, but I think that the club will have some growing pains still, and they'll learn some valuable lessons. And the the two big matches on the on the calendar, though, that fans have circled is the Columbus in August and the New York Red Bulls in a few weeks. They want revenge. Oh yes, I know, <laughs> I know. I've heard, I've heard it all through Twitter. How have you seen the Have you seen the free Lucha hashtag? That? <laughs> mm-hmm. <sighs> Just remember who struck the first blow there, Mister <laughs> Brazel. Just remember who struck the first blow. But other yeah. than that, it should be a lot of fun when it comes back to Red Bull Arena when FC Cincinnati comes over. So we'll wait and see what happens. Boston, as always, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for coming on, and I'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Yep, thanks as always. No problem. Take care. At Boston Brazel, uh, the head, the headmeister of the Cincinnati Soccer Talk podcast and part of F- and part of the Cincinnati Soccer Talk gang, uh, along with the Weigel brothers and everybody else. Head on over to CincinnatiSoccerTalk.com. Go to their Twitter page, Cincy Soccer Talk. It's always a great time to have those guys on. Love those guys. Uh, love to have more of them on the show and talk Cincinnati soccer. Uh, been on their show a couple of times. Love talking to them about the game. And whenever the Red Bulls take on the uh, their club, and it's always a lot of fun. So we'll see what happens moving forward. Um, yes, I know what I said about the MLS All-Star game. I will get into that for a bit. But for those of you... Excuse me. That are wondering some news that broke out in the United Soccer Leagues. Excuse me. Two new clubs are joining the league, one in USL Championship and the other one in USL League 1 3rd Division. The first one we're going to go to, we'll go start off with USL League One. Santa Barbara, California will now be coming in and playing the trade at USL League One as they are going to join the league uh, in the third division. When, I'm not sure, I haven't really looked at the whole thing, but once again, they will be called Santa Barbara Sky, and their shield or their crest will have the statue of Santa Barbara on it. It will be a close-up look of her face. And they will have a men's team and a woman's team involved as well. So, you know, this is a great time for the United Soccer Leagues, especially for them growing and having those 
MLS two teams no longer being a part of USL. And, you know, while maybe some of you are saying, well, you know, the kids need that type of competition, but the truth is, is that, and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, you know, USL wants to be on the, be on their own two feet. USL feels that, you know, they were doing well before allowing these MLS two teams into their league in both uh, championship second division and league one in third division. So it's a situation once again, where does it benefit USL or does it benefit MLS? And USL wants to benefit themselves. And I don't blame them. I don't blame Jake Edwards, the president of USL for doing this. I don't blame him for moving on and saying, look, we want to be uh, on our own two feet here and we don't want MLS to get involved anymore. It was a nice time uh, for the moment, but now it's time for us to move forward and be who we are. And to be honest with everyone, I, I do agree with what USL wants. I agree with them. Excuse me. Um, it, it, there's a time and a place where United Soccer Leagues, if they're going to be taken seriously here and be a part of the American professional level um, divisions of American soccer, they're going to have to start becoming more involved with their own situation. They have to grow within themselves. And honestly, this is uh, a positive step forward. This is a positive step moving on. And once again, I just believe that this will be the best thing that they can do. Now, the other news for expansion is now in 2025 – there will be a USL championship team in New Orleans, Louisiana, or at least in the area of New Orleans. And where they're going to play, rumors are going around that a former minor league baseball stadium, not being used anymore for minor league baseball, was once the home of the AAA team, originally called the New Orleans Zephyrs. Then they changed their name to the Baby Cakes, and that's due to the fact of when it's Mardi Gras time, uh, those big baby faces at the Mardi Gras uh, parade, they go out and uh, dance around and all that fun stuff, and they are doing a job. And, uh, you know, I, and I don't know where they got bought out or where they moved to, or maybe they just whoever their AAA, uh, what their AAA affiliation was in Major League Baseball. I don't know where it got moved to, but Minor League Baseball no longer around in New Orleans. We have uh, the Jesters, of course, in the lower levels, and they're in the NPSL. And, of course, there's Louisiana Crew in the amateur ranks. They are also in USL League Two, but... In about a couple of years' time, in 2025, we will have a second division club representing Louisiana and the city of New Orleans. And let me just say that I am very, very happy. 
I am very, very happy to see that. Let me just say this right now. You want every state and any part of the region, north, south, east, or west in every state, you are looking to make sure. And even though it is considered American football country over there, you build NFL players there. Louisiana State University, one of the big schools in the SEC. To see them developing soccer players, and don't forget as well, baseball players, basketball players. For them to develop soccer players over there is the next best thing and the next step. We are seeing major growth in the sport. And it doesn't have to be on the major league level all, uh, all the time. It does not have to be in the MLS level all the time. USL, welcome aboard. If you were there for the NASL and we had a team in there, welcome aboard. Even if it's in NPSL, welcome aboard. UPSL, welcome aboard. What NISA? Welcome aboard. We have, at this moment in time, what we have right now is the growth of this game improving, strong, getting stronger, better. The local media can no longer ignore this. The local media can no longer ignore what this sport is doing now. We are a soccer-crazed nation. We are a soccer-crazed nation that is getting bigger and better and brighter. What is the next step now? Well, it's really simple. It's no longer just to qualify for the World Cup. It's to win the World Cup. Depending on what they do in the group stage and making a big run in the knockout stages to get to that final in Qatar is going to be massive. There's not enough eyes to open when we get to improve the sport here in this country. MLS has done this. USL has done this. But once again, more needs to happen. How much more? More stadiums being built that are not just in Major League Soccer. We need stadiums to be built all over USL League One, all over USL League Two, if it's possible, NPSL, and USL Championship. MLS is not just where we need over 25,000 seat stadiums or between 20 to 25 to 30,000 seat stadiums. 
what we need, ladies and gentlemen. Our stadiums meant for the game, no matter how big the capacity is, as long as those clubs own it. Now, what is going on? How is that happening? We'll find out. But, as of right now, let me just go to this chart that I have developed going to discuss clubs in the professional levels of American soccer. This does not count for NPSL. This does not count for USL League Two. This counts for the professional level of American soccer, and that's Major League Soccer, USL Championship, USL League One, NISA teams, National Independent Soccer Association teams. Starting next year, with St. Louis City coming in, 29 clubs in Major League Soccer. And as of right now, four, five teams, six, seven teams are playing games in stadiums that are not meant for soccer, but the majority of them are in the NFL or, in the case of the Vancouver Whitecaps, the Canadian Football League. But American football slash North American football stadiums with the only blight being Yankee Stadium as a baseball stadium for New York City FC to play in. So once again, 22 MLS teams playing in their own soccer-specific stadium. Who are those teams right now that are not in a soccer-specific stadium? Well, of course, Atlanta United, but that was built and meant for soccer, as there will be the World Cup games there. Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. Chicago Fire leaving SeatGeek Stadium, going back to Soldier Field. Uh, the New England Revolution at Gillette Stadium. Seattle Sounders playing at Lumen Field. But then again, they've been able to fill up the stadium, so that's a positive. And of course, BC Place for the Vancouver Whitecaps. What about USL Championship? Well, Birmingham Legion are playing at a stadium called Protective Stadium, but that is meant for college football, for University of Alabama, Birmingham. So an NCAA college football stadium. Charleston Battery, who had a soccer-specific stadium, gave it up and moved to a college stadium called Patriots Point. But notable and worthy stadiums that are also considered soccer-specific stadiums, like Widener Field in downtown Colorado Springs, Detroit City right now at Keyworth Stadium, Hartford Athletic, Cashman Field no longer a minor league baseball stadium, as now maintained by the Las Vegas Lights, Lynn Family Stadium built by Louisville City, you also have Phoenix Rising 
Stadium at the Phoenix Stadium at Wild Horse Saloon Casino, Highmark Stadium in Pittsburgh, the Rio Grande Valley Toros at HEB Park, Sacramento Republic with Heart Health Park, San Antonio FC taking over Toyota Field from the Scorpions that were then of the NASL, Alang Stadium converted from a minor league baseball stadium into a soccer-specific stadium. You have at least four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen to fourteen stadiums that are not soccer specific stadiums. I will say thirteen because the fourteenth stadium where they play, Orange County SC is made for soccer. But I am not sure if that Orange County SC runs it or it's the Orange County board that runs the stadium. So it is soccer specific, but I don't know if they own it. And that, in my book, could be an issue. But that's just my end of things. USL League One, I would say Chattanooga Red Wolves, Forward Madison, North Carolina FC, Wake Med Soccer Park. Uh, um, South Georgia Tormenta at the Optum Health Systems Field. NFC Tucson at Kino North Stadium. To me, those are considered soccer-specific stadiums. Charlotte Independence, of course, moved to the American Legion Memorial Stadium that got refitted and fixed to become a soccer stadium on the campus of a collegiate college stadium. But the moment Central Valley Fuego, and then you have Greenville Triumph, Northern Colorado Hailstorm, and Union Omaha playing their games uh, over at a minor league baseball stadium. So that's one, two, three, four, five clubs in a non-soccer specific stadium. And then go to Nyssa, where these stadiums are not, the majority are not soccer-specific stadium. Only Chicago House has SeatGeek. Flower City Union has Marina Auto Stadium. And that's it. If you want to say Oaks FC at Oaks Park, it's a redone minor league baseball stadium, so be it. But a minor league team does play there. The rest of the league plays either a high school stadium, private school stadium, a town-owned stadium, which, of course, is where Cal United Strikers share it with Orange County SC. NCAA Stadium now, New Amsterdam FC at the Hofstra University Soccer Stadium, or basically where they play lacrosse. Athletic fields like Maryland Bobcats at Boyd Soccerplex, Michigan Stars at Barnabo Field, Memorial Stadium for the Savannah Clovers, and the Sportsplex at Matthews for Stumptown AC. 
And once again, this is not to belittle any club that does not own a soccer-specific stadium on their own. This is just to inform all of you, all of you, that continues to harp about why there is not enough or why we do not have promotion relegation in this country. That's your answer. That is the number one answer to the number one question. Not about, well, if you have an agreement, then you'll be able to have it. No. Well, we need to have it because the rest of the world has it. True. But this is the stumbling block we have. This is the stumbling block that we have for this sport in this country. Professional teams in a professional league where we still don't have the majority in their own soccer-specific stadiums or at least changing the venue to becoming a soccer-specific stadium. And when you see Tampa Bay Rowdy Games at Al Lang Stadium and it's nice to have those temporary seats basically in the outfield I say it's time to cut that part of the grass out I say it's time to measure the field properly during the off season and I say it's time to build permanent stands on that side. Keeping the name Allen, we're never going to see minor league baseball or spring training baseball there ever again. Just as Providence Park no longer has minor league baseball in that stadium. That stadium is now officially a downtown soccer stadium with the extra stands being built on the opposite side where it used to be a wall between left and center field. Does everyone understand what I'm trying to explain to you? As great as what the USL is doing, building in and bringing in more clubs. Somewhere down the line, somewhere in the future of these clubs in USL League One, USL Championship, NISA, Soccer-specific stadiums must be built. And I am not saying, I am not saying they all have to be like Major League Soccer stadiums. There must be stadiums that are meant for the game, like Widener Field in downtown Colorado Springs like Lynn Family Stadium in the Butchertown area of Louisville. Or at least stadiums that are meant for the game, like at Highmark Stadium in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, along the... There must be soccer-specific stadiums for every club in every professional league. 
that should be the next best thing. We cannot continue to have these discussions to bring in promotion relegation if we do not have soccer-specific stadiums for every club in every league. Or else the financial end of things will severely be lacking. Everyone must be on board. Everyone. So until we get that, until that happens, then we have to remain where we are. And I always use this line from the movie musical 1776. John, John Hancock, who was the president of Congress, when they were trying to pass independence before creating the Declaration of Independence, he voted for those members that did not want to declare independence away from England. They wanted to stay right where they are. And his words were, either we all walk together or together we must stay where we are. Now, I'm not saying that we need to write a declaration to be independent of American soccer. But what I am saying is, if we all want what we all want, and we all have to be on the same footing, on the same equal footing, if we are all wanting... To have this sport grow properly and this sport doing everything the same way that Europe does, South America, or what the rest of the world does, we must all walk together or together we must stay where we are. And I will understand if it's not a positive or it's not a favorable idea, but once again, if we all want this sport to grow properly, we need to be unified as one. I am sick and tired of the factions that have grown to separate all of us because it either we're fine where we are, no, we're not fine where we are, things have to change, screw this, we don't deserve to have this. We cannot keep doing this. We cannot keep dividing ourselves. The more division, the more we go nowhere. And if we go nowhere, then it's ruined. And then we don't deserve to have professional soccer leagues. And then what happens? USL loses a good chunk of teams in all of of championship in the second division, in League One, in the third division, NISA shuts down? No. No. But at the same time, at the same time, we need new professional divisions. This logjam at Division Three is a joke. We cannot have MLS Pro next and NISTA and USL League One within the same division. 
It is time for U.S. soccer to create a fourth division and to move NISA down. MLS will always be the first division. USL Championship will always be the second division. USL League One will be the third division. But if we're going to add another division for professional level, NISA should be there. You want to build a fifth division? No. If we're going to have a fifth division, then it should be the teams in MLS Pro Next that are not affiliated with an MLS team. And then the amateurs with NPSL and USL League Two and UPSL. Unless USL League Two and NPSL wants to become a professional league, then we got to have six divisions. I don't want it to be like England, like there's 9, 10, 14, 23, 72 professional leagues in, in 27 divisions. That's too much. But there's got to be a way to say we cannot have multiple leagues in, multi, in, in one division because it's a joke. It is a joke. We cannot have that. We cannot have that. We have to move on. We have to be better. We all need to do better. And that's all I'm saying. Plain and simple. We cannot continue to develop great talent, yet our system and that professional league standard stuff is ruining the game and preventing true growth. But we also need stadiums to grow this game better and proper. It's not just what the talent on the field does. It's how they perform in it and where they're performing in it. And that's why I will always say what I say, because this is real care of the sport in our country. Excuse me. Finally, before we move on to the Red Bull segment, the MLS All-Star Game is back. And once again, it will be MLS All-Stars versus Liga MX All-Stars. Now, last year was the first year of it, and it was a, a, it, uh, it was a success. But, you know, to be truthful, and this is how I feel, and if you don't feel that way, it's fine. You have your opinion. I have mine. It's okay. But honestly, do we really need an all-star game now? We tried East versus West. That died. Then we went to All-Stars versus club sides from Europe, from Mexico, to come over. Now it's All-Stars from Mexico against All-Stars from the U.S. Representing those leagues. 
I'm sorry. There's no all-star games in England, in the Premier League, or La Liga in Spain, or the Bundesliga in Germany, or Serie A in Italy. I don't mind an occasional tournament here and there or a charity game filled with former players and stuff like that. You know, former professionals playing with amateurs. But all I can say is this. I'm sorry. It's a waste of time. It's time to say goodbye to that and concentrate more on the meaningful regular season. I know, but you have playoffs. There should be no playoffs or else the regular season is meaningless. Like I said, one day we're going to get there. For now, this is where we are. Remember what I said about walking together or together we must stay where we are. We must, I repeat this, the all-star game is a waste of time. I think it's just not worth it. You want to do something at the end of the season, at the end of the MLS season, then fine, go ahead. But in the middle of it, no, no. I think that's over and done with. I don't care if you do it at the end of the season. I don't care if you do it before the season. But during the season, it is a waste. The truth is I've given up on the All-Star game in MLS. I don't even bother watching the Pro Bowl in the NFL. I think the uh, the All-Star game in the, NFL, in the NHL has also gotten a bit ridiculous. The NBA basically is a uh, free-for-all. I would say maybe Major League Baseball is still a solid all-star game. It's still a competitive game, even though there'll be a couple of wild and wacky moments that we'll never expect to make it fun. But once again, I truly believe that Everything about an all-star game in MLS, or at least in soccer, during the season is a waste of time. And if you want to have a, a preseason game, that's fine. If you want to have a postseason game, that's fine. After the MLS Cup Final, it's fine. But I think it's over with and it's, uh, it should be thrown out. That's how I feel. Time for the Red Bull segment, ladies and gentlemen, as we get ready to talk about the Hudson River Derby this time. Of course, this time, uh, league action. New York City FC defeats the Red Bulls 1-0 on a Tati Castellanos goal late in the second half. If you read my article on Red Bull News Network, the lack of production in the striker department is glaring. Six to eight goals, excuse me, from both 
Tom Barlow and Patrick Lamala is just not enough to get production from that position. Maybe Tom Barlow's not seasoned enough, but he's got size. And Patrick Lamala comes in and nine goals last year, a lot of misses. Four goals this year in league play for Tom Barlow. It's basically two in league play and, of course, three in all competitions. Uh, Patrick Lamal, it's nine goals. Uh, excuse me, four goals in the league this year. Uh, five in all competitions, and that includes the Open Cup games. Barlow and Clamala scored in the fifth rounder at Montclair State against the... Uh, Expansion side, Charlotte FC. So, and the majority of the goals coming are from the midfield. Obviously, the Lucinias lewis Morgan show. And all I can say is, is this. If it's not those two, who else is putting the ball in the back of the net? We don't know. But the truth of the matter is this. The truth of the matter is this. Kevin Thelwell, while bringing over Lukinas, has failed as director of sport for the New York Red Bulls. It was a short period of time, but the truth is he failed this club. Failed them miserably. And until we see what Joachim Schneider can do, and right now the jury's out on him, I don't think uh, we can say much about him at the moment because he just just got here. But unfortunately for him, he's going to have to start you know, hitting the ground running as soon as possible because as of right now, this club needs a striker. Does not have to be a designated player striker or designated player worthy striker. It just needs a striker competent enough to put the ball in the back of the net. That's all you want, consistency. You have not had it since Bradley Wright Phillips. And yes, his contract expired a couple of years ago. And yes, the New York Rebels pushed him out. Even though he's back as a member of the front office and the coaching staff, Still, though, if you wanted to have him stay, come off the bench, and help out with the young players like you had at the time, like with Tom Barlow, when we had Brian White, his influence could have meant a lot to those two. His influence could have meant a lot to those two. They could have scored more. But what did the Red Bulls do? They threw him away. They decided not to keep his knowledge. And they decided not to allow him to pass along his tutelage.
to become better strikers like how he does it. Because if Bradley Wright Phillips was still a part of this club and coming off the bench, not only would he have been scoring more goals for the club, but he would have assisted with the head coach to do better things. Dennis Hamlet has done a good job as sporting director, bringing in the talented players from Red Bulls 2 to the New York Rebels and MLS. But they have not pulled in a veteran striker to come in and assist in these victories and to help out with the goal-scoring department. Other than that, this has been a great year for the Red Bulls. No one expected them to be in the top three this year. Everyone wrote them off. I didn't write them off. I put it in as a wait and see. Because I did not know what was going to happen, and I did not know what they were going to get. Even though there was no Fabio. We had to wait and see what Gerhard Struber was going to do in his second season as head coach of the Red Bulls. And you know what? They've had a solid season. I wouldn't say a great season or a fantastic season, but a solid season. But things can change depending on how they perform next Wednesday in the Open Cup semifinals down in Orlando City. And as of right now, Nicholas Gioacchini transferred over from League One to Orlando City. I don't know how ready he'll be in the Open Cup semifinal. But, but, Orlando recognized they needed striker help. Because when you get to the semifinals of the Open Cup, and the only way they've been surviving is through their defense and their goalkeeper, this will be advantage Red Bulls next Wednesday. But they need to bring in a striker, and they need to bring one in in a, in a pinch. And they're going to need him in the Open Cup semifinals if he is available for it. And if not, and they do defeat Orlando City, and they do travel to Kansas City or they host Sacramento, they're going to need him for that final championship game. Because this is the most important thing this club needs right now, and that is a cup championship of any kind. I hope it's not starting of a slump. Because they look great. But the number one thing you need to do is put the ball in the back of the net and to have more goals scored than the opposition. And that is the one thing they are missing right now in the striker position. Lewis Morgan, Lukinias, great years from them. But it's just not enough. You cannot expect those two to score goals and not get anything from the striker department. Those two, as great as they have been, those two are not the ones you have to rely on or lean on to get the job done. There has to be goal scoring. 
scoring production from your strikers, and right there, they're not getting it. And until Klamala and Barlow truly switch it on, it's not coming. Clint Mathis is not coming back. Giovanni Savarese is not coming back. Thierry Henry, Juan Pablo Angel, BWP are not coming back. Strikers. They need veteran strikers. And as great as Serge Nagoma was in scoring his first goal in the in MLS against Atlanta United, you cannot ask a 16-year-old to put the club on his back and for him to bury the ball into the back of the net. He is the future of the club. But you cannot ask him to put that entire club on his back. He needs help. The club needs help. Struber needs the help. And if it cannot be fixed, then we may not see another run in the Open Cup for a while. But I hope that they can get this run done next Wednesday and win that semifinal match in Orlando and then get to that final in September. We'll have to wait and see. Other than that, decent performance, but once again, the goal scoring department lacked. And they need better help moving forward. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for tonight's show. Thank you for listening. I want to thank my guest tonight, Boston Brazel from Cincinnati Soccer Talk. It was great to have him on. And it is wonderful. Wonderful to have you coming back on and listening to tonight's show. Join me next Monday as we get ready to preview the semifinals of the U.S. Open Cup. I'll have several guests on representing certain clubs to preview the semifinals of the 2022 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.